When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's just start off right from the beginning here. When did you have an interest in comedy? Um, first thing I really remember being uh, into was a member of the show in Newfoundland called Wonderful Grand Band, which was a, like a precursor to uh, what later became Codco on the CDC. And uh, they had like Greg Malone and Tommy Sexton in there, along with uh, musicians like Ron Hines from St. John's. And that was on regional television. And that was a lot of sketch comedy. I remember watching it in the first grade and loving it and thinking, that's what I'd like to do one day. And then uh, years later, when I, when I was 15, myself and a couple of buddies, we rented out a theater in St. John's, it's about 200 people called the LSP Hall. And that's where Rick Mercer got his start a few years before, and uh, the Codco people all got their start as well. And so I'd go down there and rent that place for 11 o'clock. We'd put off shows, and I, uh, during the week uh, when we were in high school, uh, I'd put my name down on the list of announcements that the nuns would read out at the beginning of the day. So it'd be like, you know, boys basketball team just won uh, in Marystown. Congratulations to them. The science fair is Tuesday. Would Mark Critch please come to the office? And I'd leave my class and go out to the front door and head down to the theater and start putting up the sets and stuff. So ever since I was 15, I guess, I've, I've been doing sketch. And you just mentioned about renting out the arena at 15. Where did, where did you get the money to rent it out to? I went down there and talked to them, and we did a 60-40 split, which I thought meant that uh, they take 60% of the uh, ticket money, but well, we got 60% of the ticket money, which was pretty great. I mean, it wasn't that big a crowd, but we had like a cabaret-style show, so we had the four of us, and then by the time we took our ticket money and uh, uh, we paid for like a, a sound light guy, uh, it, it was all gone, but uh, we did that for about seven years, and eventually we started applying for... Uh, Little Arts Council grants in, in St. John's would so get like $1,500, and that would pay for like some uh, posters and, and uh, uh, hire some people to work on the show and things like that. And we'd always kind of break even, uh, but it was a great experience. You know, it was the best way to learn how to do comedy is to do it in front of people, and uh, it, was, it was priceless to me uh, later on in life. So just take us to a timetable of how you got from doing this kind of art project into this hour's 22 minutes well from there i did a lot of kind of what you'd call straight acting kind of uh, dramatic plays canadian movies uh, uh shakespeare and stuff like that for years and i'd also uh, do some stand-up uh and uh host different things for regional cbc and uh and i wrote a column i did a, basically a, a million different things uh, to keep a wolf away from the door and be able to be a working artist. And uh, then when I was 28, I did lots of comedy all over the place, just the last from the Halifax Comedy Fest. And I was doing a show called Rising Tide Review in, in St. John's where we toured the province and uh, worked at a program with Rising Tide Theater where we retrained 
people who had lost their job in the fisheries moratorium and worked in crab plants and fishermen and retrained them as actors to work in a community called Trinity, where I still live part of the time today. And then when I was 28, I got the call to go to 22 Minutes as a writer. I went up there for a while. And it was after Rick Mercer left. They hired Colin Mockery, but before they hired Colin Mockery, they auditioned myself, Shama Jumder, and Gavin Crawford to fill Rick's shoes. And none of us got it. They went to Colin, but then they brought me out as a writer. And then uh, towards the end of that year, I did my first road piece for the show to fill in for someone who couldn't do one. And they liked that a lot. And then one day when Colin Mockery got stuck in Las Vegas, they, uh, his flight was stuck. It didn't take off. So they said, hey, Mark, you're on the desk this week. And so I put out a suit and uh, kind of been there ever since. And how was it like getting that call? It was kind of, it, it, I, I performed a lot, you know, before, and uh, I filled in on the show kind of background roles before, and I'd already done a, a road piece. So it's quite comfortable. So I think people were impressed that I didn't get nervous or anything. I mean, like, I'd been doing sketch comedy since I was 15, so I wasn't nervous, and I was quite used to the 22 minutes environment by then. So it, it went really well. I was just thinking, you know, okay, well, I'll go out there. I didn't feel like I was auditioning to be on the show or anything like that. I kind of felt like, okay, they're short a person and they have to need four people for these skits. So I'll just fill in. But it went really well. And uh, and from there, you know, it's kind of a thing like you just didn't realize it was happening around you that way, like you were getting a new job. It just, it just happened so subtly and slowly and felt natural that it wasn't overwhelming in any way. It's like your third line center for in hockey and they move you up to the second line you're already in the yeah, system totally. you're already in the system so you're just kind of getting bumped up have yeah. you ever mentioned that to Colin Mockery though oh well he was he came back the next week <laughs> and uh, at the end of that season he we were having a chat in this dressing room and he said yeah I don't think I'm coming back next year uh, you'll get a job you'll you, you, uh, you'll be taking this over and I said oh I don't know about that Colin and then what happened was Shama Jumder came along and Gavin came along and we all were kind of there was a year where they're all kind of trying us all out and filling it. We'd all be back and forth. Like I'd be on one week, Gavin would be on another week, Sean would be on another week. But I was always a consistent that I was writing there all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was, and I would do a lot of the road pieces. I would still go off in that time period and go off and go, you know, interview some politician or something. So it was always like a part of it. Now, the the one thing I kind of want to mention, too, and not to kind of like maybe pick at bones or anything here, but, no. you know, Colin came from Whose Lines It Anyway, and then you had Sean, who I believe worked with YTV for a bit. Did you ever feel this kind of like competitiveness that, you know, these guys, people know who these people are, and I've got to kind of create my own identity here? Not really. No, I always felt like my secret weapon was I wrote... For myself, I wrote. I'd written for the show, and even then, when I would we pass in our scripts every week, like even when I was on the show and other people were on it, I would always write material for the other people on the show as well, plus stuff for myself. So I felt quite, you know, confident in that I was finding my own voice. Because of the comedy and stuff like that, and a show like that, where it's so reactive to what's happening around you, kind of what you did before doesn't really matter you know like if somebody was on a show in the states and they're doing something or somebody is unknown and they're doing something it doesn't really matter to the person watching once they're actually watching the show because it's like well was that funny or not and uh, it was a great place and i you know it, it was competitive in a, in, a, in a way for some people because they were you know trying to get on the show but i always felt like it was more about just doing the work like i said i used to write for the people i was competing against so i i didn't really feel like i had to knock anybody out or anything you know it, it felt 
like we're all on it at the same kind of a level. Yeah, it's kind of like the... I read David Spade used to do the same thing. He used to be a writer on SNL, and he used to write for the cast, but he also used to write pieces that to try to get himself on the show. And in this case, I'm not saying that you tried to write yourself on the show. Obviously, you wrote for yourself just in case something came up. But do you remember your first sketch on the show? Uh, yeah, well, the first time I was in it was a thing that I had written. Very first appearance <clears throat> was a thing... Uh, we had done a, uh, it was during the Iraq war, and we were doing, like, what was the 22 minutes version of, uh, the, uh, what would the Iraqi version of 22 minutes be? And so we did this show where, you know, everybody was, instead of saying the prime minister was, you know, oh, I don't like this prime minister, but it's like, oh, Saddam Hussein is so wonderful. He is so amazing. And then we used to do a thing on a show called, or 22 minutes, Rick used to do a thing on a show called Talking to Americans, where you go down to the States and kind of goon American people by saying, like, oh, Canada's thinking of getting rid of the its giant national igloo. What do you think? He'd give him like, false that? information just to kind of tease yeah. him along, yeah. So we'd have parody of that, so the Iraqi version was I was a downed uh, American pilot, like a bag over my head, and then this his bag was ripped off, and he's on this. Iraqi version of 22 minutes where like oh do you think that should be Iraq should be getting rid of our national uh, polar bear or, 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 or you think uh, that Iraqis should uh, get rid of our uh, polar bears we have so many polar bears in Iraq I'm like oh I didn't know you had a polar bear in Iraq oh I think you should do that yeah. and uh, so it's like a parody of, of, of 22 on 22 and that's my very first time on the show but I wasn't like a cast member then and then I uh, the first sketch was about I think it was about hockey parents or something. But around that time that I was in, but I remember that the first time I, I, I started writing for 22 minutes, I showed up and uh, there were three live sketches you would tape that week. And the first week I was there, all three live sketches were ones that I had written. And I was like, oh, wow, I got a hat trick. This is great. And people were like, oh, wow, that's never been ha- that's never done before. Nobody's ever done that before. And they came in writing. I was like, oh, wow, this is fantastic. What a, I'm, I'm lucky. And then uh, two of them didn't do so well in front of the audience. They kind of bombed, but the other one did great. And I remember thinking, oh, no, they built sets for this. Like, what happened? Do I offer to, to pay for the lumber? You know, like, I was so freaked out that two of them. But, of course, two, two of them would always never make it because we taped during the week a bunch of sketches. Stuff always falls off and it doesn't get made or it doesn't get on the show. It's things you shoot. So uh, so anyway, I was all kind of worried, even though I had actually, you know, done a good job. But I was like, uh, I remember being like, you know, kind of terrified after that. And of course, the, the one that I remember you from over the summer, I've watched a lot of the 22 minutes, but the one that I kind of kind of keep coming back to, I know you do the Donald Trump impression. I like the PEI News Watch. Oh, PEI Eyewitness News. Yeah. yeah. And that was a thing that, that came out of. Uh, I used to do a thing in my stand up actually about um, being from a small town and uh, being from St. John's, and our news was always so uh, small, so small town, you know? And then the American affiliate that we got a American TV from was the Detroit News. So on the Detroit News, we, oh, this truck exploded and seven people are on fire and the man's got a machine gun and hours, you slip over the hours of the, you know, uh, uh, just sounds like this is the weather, and there's a, a cat's been lost on yeah. uh, Fleming Street, and so I I do a bit about that, and then I thought, well, this would make a good sketch, and uh, but I didn't want to do it as Newfoundland because we do so much Newfoundland stuff, 
yeah. uh, on the show. I thought, well, if I do another, you know, it's another more Lisa Lang humor. I thought, well, it's a PEI. We don't do stuff about PEI, so I'll make it PEI. And then the, there's a writer on the show, Mike Alfred, who works in PEI a lot. Uh, and so I got him together. We wrote together because he knew a lot of references. And then we've done a bunch of those. Those are always really fun. And then the other one I wrote was uh, they had these EI uh, cops going around checking to see if people were uh, actually uh, unable to work. Uh, these undercover EI operatives were going around, so I did a sketch called PEI EI PIs. Yeah. That I wrote a couple of those. So for years I was writing a lot more PEI stuff than I ever done, but <laughs> this is the way it worked out. But yeah, I like that kind of stuff. It's just. It's very gentle. It's not mean or anything. Those PEI news sketches, like just kind of, just kind of fun. You you mentioned like some of the sketches didn't go as well. How do you recover from that, or do you just kind of continue on and say, okay, that one didn't work. Maybe this one will. Well, it's a grand experiment. You know, every week you write news. Every week I'll write about six sketches for the show. And um, sometimes, usually three of those will get made or make it to the show. It's just a numbers game. You, know, you have four people on the show. The show has to feature everybody. You throw a bunch of stuff out there. Some of the stuff works really well some weeks. Some stuff doesn't. Some stuff, you could have a really funny sketch that in the execution of it doesn't work for a million ways. Might be the way it's edited. Might be the way it's shot. Might be the performance wasn't that good. Might be it wasn't as funny as you thought. Or you could have something that you don't really think is going to be funny at all. And then in the delivery of it, you might come up, hit a character that's really funny. Or uh, it just might be, you know, when it's edited, they're able to add a little something to it. So you never really know, but that's the nature of a weekly show like that where you we tape Monday night, Tuesday night, we have the right, so it's like there's no time to be precious about stuff. You have to throw stuff at a wall, watch six sticks, and you can't be thinking, oh, I really like that sketch. I wish that had gotten in because, you know, you, there's no time for that. You, can't, you, can't, you just have to keep moving forward. Now, I'm going to tell you one of the ones that, one of the, my favorite sketches, and then you can tell me what one you really enjoyed. The one that I really liked was when you were making fun of Justin Bieber's story with the Tim Hortons. Oh, yeah. How fun was that to do? That's great. Well, it was, it was neat. It was fun because I, uh, I wrote that one, and I don't know why. It just hit me. That song came out. I was thinking, oh, Bieber. Oh, well, story is a Canadian thing. Okay, great. So uh, we were taping it, and I recorded it, and we record the track myself and Susan beforehand and then we kind of lip sync to it or make the video and there is we had all these donuts there's like a Tim Horton setup. so I thought hey why don't we throw all the donuts on the floor and I'll lie on them and you guys get an exact overhead shot so that's something I kind of found in the moment that really worked you know it kind of added a lot to it and it was just like a funny beat me lying on these donuts you know kind of licking them and then them falling on me kind of American Beauty style so that was kind of neat and what I always liked doing was there was one called The Codfather when Danny Williams stepped down as Premier of Newfoundland we had had him on and I had interviewed on the show many many times and then he was stepping down and so we did a bit where I uh, got Gordon Pinsett in and we did a sketch like he had I had to take Gordon uh, I had to take Danny off to meet Gordon Pinsett so he could ask the Codfather the Supreme Newfoundlanders uh, ask him if he was allowed to step down as Premier yeah and I like that one because the story happened on Thursday Friday I happened to be going to Newfoundland and I was going to do something with Gordon Pinsett there and I called Gordon up and said, do you have a tuxedo? Bring it. Yeah. And then uh, I called the hotel and got it booked at the top floor uh, where we could shoot. And I called up Paco, who was just starting to do Republican Doyle, and got him and McGinley to come along. And I wrote that sketch on a, a napkin on the plane on the way there. Wow. Uh, right after the beats. And then we wrote, I print, typed it up, printed it off, and we shot it. 
the next day. And so it was completely unplanned. It came together and it was just, uh, it, it, I just loved the way. It was great having all those people in the one room. It was very memorable and it was, uh, uh, it just came together. So I love, I love those things that just happen without very little planning better. But part of it that I still find interesting is, okay, so-and-so is going to be in town or I'm in Ottawa. I know somebody's here. I had to go interview them. On the way there, you're thinking about what you're going to do. There's no real time to prepare too much because you can be over-prepared. Or the thing about doing some of this stuff is sometimes you get a thing in your head, you get an idea in your head of what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. But a lot of comedy is about being in the moment. So you had to be able to like flush that out of your mind and just be in the moment and react to stuff. But that's always the best stuff, the stuff that just happens. The best sketches I've ever written are all the ones where I just start and I can't get it down fast enough. It just comes out whatever length of time it takes to take those words on the paper so, uh, and then print and those are the ones that are always the best anyone where you're standing around thinking about it too much or trying to come up with something witty to say those, those always seem a bit too forced to me so just thinking a moment is so important I think that one, yeah, I, I remember that sketch, and I really liked that one as well, because it seemed like everyone was playing to their strength, but to their character as well. Like, no one seemed, yeah. it didn't seem so far-fetched to believe that this could actually kind of happen. Let's put it yeah, that way. Like, yeah. when when the line was brought up of, did you whine and complain when you didn't get your way? Yeah, yeah. And then you kind of look at him as if to go like, <laughs> like, yeah, he did. And then he's looking at you as if to go like, yeah, of course I did. And then when you have, all right, it's like you, two of you super noofs up against the wall, and then you have uh, Alan come in and take over, and I thought that was executed really well. Speaking of execution, uh, did you ever feel kind of scared when you did the whole shirtless behind Justin Trudeau on Signal Hill? No, no. I mean, that wasn't for the show at all. I just had to get up there. I got a call from a friend of mine who works at the office just let me know saying hey we're going to be up on signal hill with the prime minister just a half an hour of kind of private time it wasn't like announced you're going to be up there's no media if you want to take your kids i got two sons jacob and will and they said they'd like to come up meet the prime minister and get a picture with him bring him up you know because i met justin several times over the years i said oh wow that'd be great so i go up with the boys and we're up there and they take a photo they get to meet the prime minister you know up on signal hill is nice you know nice thing to the family and uh I see Adam Scotty, his photographer's over there. Justin's next to me, and I think I said to him, "Just look that way for a second. <laughs> he said, "What?" And I said, "Just, just look over there." He said, "What are you going to do?" I said, "Nothing, nothing." And he goes, "Oh man!" And I do it. I take off my shirt and I get the picture, and everybody around just laughs. And I just thought, like, I mean, this is this would be a good thing. And uh, and then he he comes back, you know, why do why I should never listen to you? And we're just like you know joking around a bit. And my boys were like, oh, dad, you know, can't we have a normal moment? <laughs> it's going to have embarrassed, but laughing as well. And I went home, put it on my Twitter, and I didn't think it would be a thing. You know, I thought it would be a few things that my friends would, you know, retweet or laugh about. Yeah. You know, I just thought it was a funny moment. It's in the moment, not planned or anything. And then, it, you know, people just really responded to that for whatever reason and thought it was really funny. And, and next thing you know, there's a couple of news articles about it and stuff like that. It was just kind of one of these things that kind of takes off. But that was just me goofing around, you know. It wasn't a... A plan, but like I say, like you know, things that happen in a moment are, are are always the best things. Yeah, I mean, I can, I still remember the picture. I know Seamus O'Regan's there off the side with his hand covering his face, yeah. as if to say, like, <laughs> yeah, what yeah, are you doing? Real life face palm. Yeah, yeah. The other thing too is you you got to sit down and interview Justin Trudeau a few times. One was, I mean, it was somewhat serious, somewhat like a sketch. The one where he's running for prime minister. 
and the, I guess the kind of the country knows that he's going to win. And you sat down with him in his bus, and then you dressed up as Justin Trudeau, but you dressed up as the old Justin Trudeau with the goatee. Did um, was that discussed prior, or was that something on the fly? No, the way that happened was we hadn't really had him the whole election. We weren't able to get him. He was busy. And we were trying to get him. And I had landed to go talk to Chris Alexander, who was running as a conservative. And I, my film crew, Corey and Pete, the producer and, and, and videographer, were at a hotel because they were shooting something else. My, fl- my flight, their, their plane had landed before mine, and I was coming from Newfoundland. They'd come from Halifax. I had gotten to the hotel. I, got, I was on the plane. My phone buzzes. I answer is Corey. He says, come to the hotel right away. Justin Trudeau's campaign bus is parked at our hotel. I thought, oh, this is amazing. Now, we were doing a bit. It was around Halloween. So I had a bunch of, we're going to a, cost, a Halloween costume with Chris Alexander, but I had brought a few costume pieces from, 22 minutes costume make in my bag and there were just different things we're going to like put on different costumes on him so I had all this stuff in my bag and I didn't know I was going to interview Justin but we land and I get to the hotel and the bus has just taken off and I said hop in the car so we hop in the car we find the bus and we see that he's stopping off at this uh, it was like a farmer's market okay and I would get out and I figure what am I going to do what am I going to say to him and then I remember I had this stuff, and I, there was a wig there and a goatee in the bag, and I thought, you know what I could do? I could be Justin Trudeau in the past. So I start writing some jokes down, and we get there, and I show up. His people are kind of like, well, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, I'm going to go ambush uh, Justin. I'm like, well, you know, we can't do that. He's other things left to press here. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm going to get up on the stage. I'm going to try and make him look bad. <laughs> Everybody's going to see it, and all the news media are going to see it. And I said, or... I could go on his bus, just the two of us, you know, and they're like, okay, okay, do it on the bus. I want to get him on the bus because then it's, whenever you do something in a big crowd, it's generally quick, you know, because yeah. they can get away and they move away. I thought, if I haven't sit that, sat down on a bus, he sits down on the bus with a microphone pack on and all that stuff, I'll be able to talk to him longer. So I go in there and I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to be you in the past. And we had this chat and it worked out great. It was kind of like, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought of that if I didn't have those wigs and stuff with me. It, it, just everything just connected at the right time. Luckily, he, the guys, his boss stopped at the guy's hotel. Luckily, I had this stuff with me. And then we had a really nice little uh, exchange. It was a lot of fun. When Trudeau is apparently on his way up to the Arctic doing a bunch of kind of tours up there, uh, my dad told me to mention this so you can go after him. I can give you the address later. Uh, but he oh, said, Nick. he said, so he can go shirtless down here at Signal Hill. How come he doesn't follow him up there and go shirtless? And I was just, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think, well, I'm so, I'm so white and untanned. I could easily be mistaken for a polar bear, I think. It'd be dangerous for me up there. But, uh, yeah, it's a good idea. How long have you been doing this, Sarah's 22 Minutes? I believe this year or next year. Probably this year, I think. Uh, no, next year will be my 15th year, 15th season. How long have you been working with uh, guys like Sean Majunder? Oh, Sean I knew well before that. Um, I first met Sean on a show called Madly Off in All Directions, which was a CBC radio comedy show where they had different stand-ups on uh, with Lauren Elliott hosting, and they would tour around, and we were both on the same episode of that. I'd never laid eyes on him before, and I thought, who's this guy? 
And then uh, we did a Halifax Comedy Festival. Uh, the first time I ever did that, that would have been, oh, probably 18 years ago. Or, you know, yeah, it might have been 20, I don't know, 18 or 20. And Sean was on there as well. And you were, it was just us doing 50 minutes of stand up each. The whole show was just two of us. First, me, then Sean. But that was uh, the next time I met him. And then we'd worked together on a few things, we worked on Just for Laughs uh, together. So I'd known him, and we were, you know, starting a friendship, and then we both got 22 minutes at the same time. So that was kind of, it was great going in like that, knowing somebody and having a friend there, kind of uh, not being the only new person, you know, made made a big difference. If you knew someone that's interested in comedy, interested in writing for this hour's 22 minutes, what's their best approach to get into that kind of field of work? I think just doing it, you know? Like, uh, you know, I what I would do is I would, what I, you know, what really helped me was... Um, I used to do CBC radio commentaries, local in St. John's, about news things. I also wrote a column for a paper there, a satirical kind of column. Um, so finding your own voice and how you talk about news and stuff like that would be a, a good start. Those are both two good ways to, to do that. You write as much as you can, perform as much as you can if you want to be on camera. But if you're off camera, write as much as you can for people, you know, write for a sketch troupe, write commentaries things like that get find your voice get you know just and it's not really about building a body of work because with satirical topical stuff uh, the second it's 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 a week old it's you know it's dead completely you know it's uh, uh but, but what you need to do is just uh, be able to uh build up the confidence i think in in, in your style and uh, just do it. The more you do it, just do it. And uh, and there's a million different ways to get out there and do it. Write. Find your voice. Perform. And that's the, that's the only thing you can do. Is, you know, you could take a million courses. You could go to a different different classes. But until you're actually writing stuff in your own voice and, and saying it to other people, there's no experience like that. And the last question I have here is, Whose idea was it to come up as you being Donald Trump on the show? I think of me. I just said, I'll, I'll try it. I wrote up a, a one I didn't really think I'd uh, done his voice or anything before, <laughs> but it was just, you know, he was such a fascinating character in those early days, especially. And then I did it. Luckily, we had a really good Donald Trump wig at work because uh, our, our hair lady or makeup or uh, wig lady, she had a wig which she had worked on a miniseries about the life of Donald Trump and she had the wig from that okay. and I thought wow what are the chances so that helped a lot and then I just put on the wig tried tried the voice a few times it was, it was exactly the voice it was the best voice ever it was and, huge. Uh, and I thought okay I can do that and then uh, did it in front of the audience I figured you know what I'll do it in front of the audience like we're at a rally and get their energy uh, and told the audience, okay, pretend like you're at a Donald Trump rally and just, you know, cheer whenever you would cheer if you were a Donald Trump fan. And they were great. They had all kinds of energy and that kind of excitement just added to it. It just took off, you know, it was, it was, it was great fun. I think he's an interesting character to kind of watch as well. I, I like seeing people's impressions of him, but I, I just watched a clip actually before I came into the interview of, um, you were dressed up with, I think it was a cowboy pants on, or cow and uh, you were kind of going off about like. Oh yeah, that's the Mexican border. Yeah, man. yeah. You were like, you were like, it's going to be huge. We're going to make America great again. And I was just <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I was like, man, that's a good impression. But it just kind of, it's the over overacting of it to make it just sound like to make him sound so 
silly when he says stuff like that. Like, because yeah. I, I think people buy into the fact that yes, there's confidence. But and again, I'm not on any side of the field here. But when he when you listen to one of these co- conferences, you can see why people get behind him uh, because he comes across very confident, very like this is how we're doing it, this is why. But then when you listen to a Colbert or a Stewart or even a John Oliver, or 22 minutes, kind of teasing at him, you're kind of thinking like, how does he not see through it? How does he not see that what he's saying doesn't make sense? Well, he's not about, like, like when you're in the moment, you know, yeah. it's the same way that televangelists work or uh, in the old Western uh, towns, like a snake oil salesman would come in or a circus barker. It's all about creating spectacle. And this is that creating somebody to boo. This is bad. This is good. Are you with me or not? Crowd mentality, man. People in mobs, that's why mobs rip things apart. You know, like big crowds want a leader and uh, someone to get them riled up. And he's a very good speaker. He says very plain <laughs> things. He speaks very plainly. But if you take a Donald Trump speech and you don't listen to him say it and you just read it, yeah. it sounds like the stupidest thing ever. And he'll contradict himself eight different times, realize he's not really saying anything. But in the moment, people get excited and they buy into it, you know? It's, uh, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book and it's still working. Well, it's like it's comedy gold. I remember if when you dissected, I remember there was one part where he says, I have words, I have the best words. And you're like, okay, that's not even saying anything. That's like me trying to hammer out a 500 word paper and saying, these are my words. Here are the words. I just repeated myself or the fact of, I think it was, yeah, earlier the year or earlier during the campaign, he accused Barack and Hillary are being a part of ISIS. And he's like, you know, I was just kidding. No one gets sad time. Yeah. But really, I wasn't kidding. And I was just like, what are you doing? You're going around the loop. So, like, that to me is kind of interesting. But when you're able to poke fun at it, it's, it's great, too. Do you ever worry that you might get a, a tweet from Trump? Oh, my God, no. That would be, <laughs> that would be the best thing you could ever have, you know, from a, as, a, as, a, as a career. I don't think he'd care too much because we're up in Canada, which to him might as well be Pluto, you know? But... Uh, if you know, whenever, whenever you get the person you're talking about to react to you, I mean, I've had that happen a bunch of times. It's always interesting, you know, like where, like, well, even like with Scott Bayo. I mean, he spoke at the Republican convention. He's big on the Trump Trump team of supporters, and like, I never thought he'd write me back. You know, I never thought, you know, Scott Bayo. <laughs> I never don't really think about Scott Bayo that much. But then you realize anything is possible, you know, in, in the world now. What's different? When I started on the show, I used to take newspapers and cut out the headlines that I found interesting in the news articles and keep in a drawer because if I had to look something up or see if somebody contradicted themselves or something, I had to go back through the newspaper clippings I had reading it and try and find something. Now you can just type something in a computer. It's there. Everything everybody, anybody ever said is on YouTube. And when you say something on Twitter, you have a direct link to that person if they're searching their names or if you, if you uh, speak directly to them. The world has changed so much in the few years that I've been uh, uh, doing the show. It, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling, you know? And do you control your own Twitter account or does someone control it for you? No, no, I, I, I do, yeah. Okay. No, because I was just going to mention you must get a lot of tweets in the run of a day because I, I, I remember... Uh, I tweeted at you a few times last year, and I was like, "Man, I was like, this guy, this guy's just not getting it. He's just not seeing me." So I was like, "I got to find a way to oh, get." Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, people say that. Like sometimes, like it depends on because like I don't, I'm not like Trump where I'm constantly <laughs> checking it. 
you know, so if I'm away for a few hours or I'm not paying attention to it, I'll come back yeah. and then I'll just check the last couple or, or what have you or, uh, you know, so, and sometimes something will happen and whatever reason, people are either talking about the issue or they either agree or disagree with what I say and then there'll be like retreats or likes or people saying, you're an idiot, I hate <laughs> you and whatever and it'll, and it'll go by like so quick. It's like, I don't know what just happened. So yeah, I, I'm not as great at, at keeping up with it all, probably. Like, and, and the other thing too, like I'll come back sometimes, like I'll just say something or reply to someone and I'll come back and there'll be like four or five different things and I'll go like, oh, that started a whole conversation. Oh, okay, oops. Yeah. So I, I really gotta start checking it more, I think. Because I'll be like, you know, I'll come back to the phone. Well, one time I, I did this thing where like, I, uh, I just put up a post, a picture of myself when Harper stepped down uh, in the closet that he that I hid in during the shooting in October on, uh, on Parliament Hill. And it was just on my Instagram account, like for people that I know. And I didn't re and somebody in the in the conservatives got a hold of it and gave it to Michelle Rample, who's an MP, and that started a whole thing. So I was doing a show out in Burlington for uh, Shama Jumder's gathering thing, and I came back and like, there's no signal out there. I checked my phone, and there were thousands of angry messages and stuff. And I was like, oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> you can't really go back, you know? So it all depends. Like, that's the other thing with the world. You know, you don't know, uh, sometimes you don't even have the, you're not even aware of conversations that are happening about you uh, even while you're sleeping or something. It just, it never ends. You used to be able to turn it off, but no, there's no turning it off now. And we, because you just brought it up, how do you handle yeah. those kind of situations? Because I mean, we're told, uh, I can give a, an example here now, is we're told when we're going on internships that more or less we're nobodies yet. We're just trying to find our way in the business. So we got to be careful of what we say. But now, when you have somewhat of star power or somewhat of recognition, uh, I guess you can kind of take it with a grain of salt and just kind of move on from it. What, what's your take on that? Well, I, I think it's important to deal with things. Like if something happens that somebody in the, in the business say, will say like, oh, that's bad PR or something, or you look bad. Deal with it. Be honest about it. Be honest about how you feel about it. Because um, anything ever happens like that <clears throat> when people try and spin it or lie about it, it always, in, in today's world, it will come back at you. People will be able to figure out exactly what happened in any situation. So just be honest about it and, uh, and, and, and deal with it, I, I think. But, you know, generally try and, if you try and treat people fairly, uh, fairly, if you try and treat people fairly, you know, reminded that everybody's a human being then, and try and be nice to people, uh, you'll be fine. It's the same thing like with that bail thing. Never mind me. It's like, ah, why am I saying mean stuff about people I don't know for? You know, obviously this guy is upset about it. Uh, so it, it's, it's tricky that way, you know. Um, so I don't know, maybe all this Twitter stuff can bring people closer together, even though it feels like they're farther apart. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Mark Critch for coming on the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying, If it looks like Alan Doyle talks like Alan Doyle, be careful. It still might be Mark Critch. Thanks for listening, and good night. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 
I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.